to the Stay at Home Mom Yeah Right podcast. You are about to listen to my mom. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like it, please give it five stars. Thank you. and welcome to the Stay-at-Home Mom Yeah Right podcast. I'm Sarah Smith, your host, and I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Brittany Claiborne. She is a mom, psychologist, a stage four cancer and heart transplant survivor, author, nonprofit founder, and a motivational speaker. And she's pretty hilarious too. Um, Welcome to my podcast, Dr. Brittany. How are you today? I am doing so well, Sarah. Thank you. How are you today? I'm great. I've been looking forward to speaking with you. So thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy schedule to speak to me. Likewise, it, it, this is something I've been looking forward to. So I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to make it happen. Great. What has this past two years in the pandemic been like for you and your family? Mm, what a question. We weren't going to ease into this and start with like, what you have for breakfast? Okay. <laughs> Just jump in, I guess. Um, how has it been? It's it's been obviously chaotic, right, for everyone. Um, I was when the pandemic started. I was finishing up my doctorate, finalizing my divorce, and finishing chemo. Those oh are the goodness. three things that were happening. And that's before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's Ugh. all of those things were happening. That was like my November, December, January. Oh, man. Um, so like November, my, my, uh, my divorce was, was finalizing and December was my doctor itself was happening. And then, um, January, I had my last, my last round of, of chemo radiation, cancer treatment. And then the end of January came COVID. So <laughs> wow, I, it's, it's been a, um, it's definitely been interesting, um, so when they were like, hey, we're going to go into a global pandemic, I was like, okay. <laughs> I need fine. to relax, right? Like you needed, you needed some time to chill and like be at home, right? You know what? At that, at that point, so many things <laughs> had been thrown um, that it was, it was just, it was, it was almost, it was almost hilarious, right? It was almost laughable because you're like, like is okay, this yeah, happening? exactly. I was like, is. I, you know what I felt like? I felt like I was on, like, I felt like I was, I don't know, one of like the Kardashians or something. And we were like season 19 and there was really nothing to happen. So the producers were just like, give her a pandemic. It's fine. <laughs> oh my God. She'll be good. And so I felt like we were just in like season 19 of my life. And the producers were just doing outrageous stuff to fulfill the contract because there was no way that was real. None. Right. Right. Because you've, you've already been through so much. And then it's like, and then we have a pandemic after I finish all this. Right. Thought, and it's not even like, oh, my kids, my kids school shut down because they all have the flu. It was a global right, like, the right. whole world. The whole world. Uh, so it was it was very interesting. But um, it was it was difficult to say the least, um, especially when it came to the emotional piece of it, because uh, I, for 10 years, I, I was married for 10, almost 11 years. So I had, I was kind of reliant on, on my, my ex-husband and 
that was, you know, a huge part of my emotional support. So I was used to going to my house and, you know, doing those things. And now that house was no longer my house. When Mm -hmm. I went there, there was another, another woman, woman there. And Uh. when I went there, there, so it was just all of these things that, you know, I, I had healed from heart transplant surgery. So I was kind of getting back to life when the cancer hit. So everything just kind of got uprooted and, and moved around. And it was a very uncomfortable time. Um, who or what has been your support during the, that time? Jesus. Um, because all of the people that I thought would be in some way, shape or form have, well, and let me not even, let me not even go there. Let me, let me be very honest. Looking at it from this side of it now, I realize that we could not, as much as we wanted to, even for our children, it was very difficult to support them because we were experiencing something we'd never experienced. So I, I, I'd say that a lot of the people that I expected to be my support during that time were not there, but I don't think they could have been because mm-hmm. everyone was trying to be there just for themselves and their household, let alone all the other people in their world. So my best friend, that the person that was my best friend at the time lived in California. Well, there were times where when I was in chemo, it was nothing for her to hop on a plane and come to Texas and help take care of me. Well, now that wasn't a possibility. Right. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of uncertainty in those relationships and a lot of reframing of those relationships because we had to learn to love each other in different ways. Yeah. Now, did they keep your chemo um, treatments on schedule? Because I know they. I literally finished chemo. I was actually already done with chemo. I was actually on a trial drug because we did the chemo and it worked a little bit, but not enough. And then we did radiation and it worked a little bit, but not enough. So we literally just took one last, I'm not going to say stab in the dark, but we did a, a trial drug and that, thank God, worked. Oh, praise God. That's wonderful. Because yeah, I was you. almost out of there. I was almost out of there. But nope, I hung but you're around here talking to check to me. out. Yes. That's right. We're chilling, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So, now yeah, I'm going to bring yeah, it yeah. back. Um, can you talk about your life before you had your son? Because we know once you had your son wow. is when um, you found out that you needed a new heart, correct? Absolutely. So I, many people don't ask that question. So I don't, I don't often get to go back that far. Let me, let me roll it back. So that was, my son was born in 2010. Um, so pre 2010, I was living my best life. Um, I'd gotten married. We, we got married in 2009 and I was climbing the corporate ladder at my company. I was in perfect and completely, totally healthy. I, I was fine. I was absolutely fine. Um, Life was, it was newlywed life. So that that's always fun. Um, and then it was, I think we were 25. Yeah. Cause I had Mike when I was 26. So it, we, we, I was 25. And, and even before I got married, I'd been working at the company that I was at for about two or three years prior. And it was, a, it, it is still a great company. Um, and I was seeing the world. I was experiencing new things. Um, I'm 
the only child. So my parents were still close enough where I could reach out and touch them if I needed to. Um, But, you know, I had a couple of degrees. So I was I was also out on my own and just exploring who I was as, as Brittany, the, I don't even say Brittany, the adult, cause my parents still pay my cell phone bill to say Brittany, <laughs> the young adult, because, you know, um, so it was, um, it was exactly the way I planned it. share your story what happened right after you had your son a couple I believe it was a couple months after you had your son in 2010 right no it was um see uh he was born on Sunday it was five days later oh so five days I didn't realize it was that close oh my well it 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 was a it was kind of a building thing Mm -hmm. so Micah um I was actually traveling for work and I had gone for did you do like the 3d ultrasound thing no so there's I don't remember having I mean yeah my my kids are 15 13 and 9 so well my my kids 11 so yeah so in in there they they had just started doing it though they just started doing the 3d ultrasounds where you could really truly see it almost looks like you know someone's kind of pushing the baby's face into like a cloth or a towel because you could see the outlines and everything so um and the first time we went Micah would not cooperate with the sonographer. He turned his face. He would not move. He just wouldn't give us what we needed. Um, And at that point, I was about 30 weeks. So she was like, you know what? Come back in about six weeks. He's going to be a little bit bigger. He'll be more active. Um, And like right before, drink something that you know gets him kind of hyper. And we'll do it then. So I went, I I was out of town for work. And um, I flew back into town. This was a Thursday. I flew back into town on Thursday morning. And I went to the sonographer Thursday evening. The plan was to leave the sonographer's office, go home and pack because we were moving from the apartment to the house. So I went to the sonographer and she said, he looks good, but your fluid's low. Could you please call your OB in the morning and just see what she's saying about this? You've been traveling a lot. You may just be dehydrated, but let's just double check. Uh, and I was 33 weeks actually at that point. So I did call my, call my OB the next day. And she said, well, go ahead and come in. I went in. She said, I'm going to admit you because the fluid is quite low. So I was admitted on, on Friday morning. And then on Saturday, they said, we are seeing that there's some issues. So we need to take him or you're going to seize and we can't save you both. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Whoa. Um, so Saturday night, they started, they gave me the steroid injection to kind of give his lungs a jump start. And on Sunday morning, which was the 12th, they started me on Pitocin um, to begin to induce labor. And he was born at 2 p.m. Um, and I felt fine. I had a natural birth. Uh, he was two pounds. So he was really small. And they said, they said, mm-hmm. he's going to be small. He probably won't be breathing. He's going to go straight to the NICU. You may not be able to hold him. Just prepare yourself for that. 
he came out screaming like a banshee. Oh, because <laughs> let me tell you something. He knew, and he's very much like this, like right now. Oh my gosh. He was like, listen, it, I am at 34 weeks. I paid rent until the 40th week. I don't need you guys to put my placenta back in there. You got my stuff all out. Um, it's cold out here. There's lights in my eyes. Put me back where you got me from, right? He was not happy. So he came out screaming, screaming. So I got to hold him for a second and they said, what are you going to name him? I said, I'm going to name him Micah. His name is Micah. Um, so they took him to the NICU and they said, you know, he's working. His body is working well. He's just little. So we just, we're, we're keeping him just because he's small. So I, that was on Sunday. I was released home on Tuesday. And like I said, I was feeling okay. Um, but on that Friday, I went to lie down um, to go to bed actually. And it felt like someone, you know, you're floating on your back in a pool and then you start, yeah. you feel yourself start to sink. I felt like my lungs were filling up with water wow. just from trying to lie back. So I said, well, maybe, maybe, I don't know what it is. So I tried to do it in the recliner. I tried to lay back in the recliner. No, could could not. Every time I tried, I would pop up coughing, coughing up blood, just could not do it. So I went to the hospital. The first hospital I went to told me I was having a panic attack and to go home. Oh my God. Um, so I did go home for about an hour and I was like, no, something's not, not right. So I went back to a different hospital and they said, oh, you've had a heart attack in the past few days. And I was like, I'm sorry. What? I had a these people just told me I was having a panic attack. Right. It's like, no, you've had a, you've had a, you've had a heart attack. So we're going to, we're going to care flight you to the hospital that your son is in the NICU at. You'll be in cardiac ICU there. And we're going to start figuring out what to, what to do. Um, so I was in CVICU and my son oh my was in goodness. NICU and my mom and my husband were going back and forth. And this is right before like FaceTime. So it was like taking pictures and bringing blankets back and forth and um, so on and so forth. So it was definitely a time. Um, But from there, I was just released with meds. About two years later, my heart weakened more. They diagnosed me with something called peripartum cardiomyopathy. And it simply means a weakening of the heart muscle due to pregnancy. Mm. That's just happens. And they're like, Oh, like one in 1 million women don't recover. Like everybody else, usually after a couple of years, their hearts get better, no more meds. They're fine. Two years later, I needed a pacemaker. Um, I was, I, I died and was defibrillated back by that pacemaker about five times. And then they said, you know what? We probably need to get you a heart transplant. Um, so I waited in the hospital for the heart transplant for about nine or 10 months. And that did not come. So I asked what other options I had. They said, we can give you a mechanical heart. We can give you an LVAD. I said, okay, if that's going to get me home to my son, who at this point I was only seeing one day a week for about 30 minutes over a period of nine months. Um, I said, let's, let's do that. So I went to the mechanical heart and I did that for two years. Um, I was in the hospital. Like I said, two years later, so I'd had the mechanical heart for two years and I was back in the hospital because my heart was still getting weaker, even with the mechanical heart support. Um, during that time that I was in the hospital, I got the call that a heart was available and I received the heart transplant on January 14th, 2018. Wow. Wow. <sighs> wow. Take a drink. <laughs> Please do. Oh my goodness. Take all the time that you need. 
had read that you said you died seven times. Can you explain that? What exactly does that mean? So that means my, if I did not have an implanted defibrillator, that would have been the end of my life. Um, But because I had, you know, you see on TV, they rub the paddles and they go clear and it shocks you. But Mm -hmm. if no one's there to do that, then, then the person nine times out of 10 just, just passes away. Um, So mine was implanted in my chest. So you can see that scar there probably, but mine was implanted in my chest. My defibrillator was. So um, that happened um, seven times between the time I got the pacemaker and the time I got my actual heart transplant. So my heart, it it shut down, it quit on me. Um, And every time I could tell it was coming. Um, And that's, that's, Mm. what's crazy. I, I died so many times I could feel myself dying. Um, because literally I was sitting in the living room one day, my Micah was playing Legos on the floor. He was about three and my mom was sitting on the couch. Um, and we were watching, I think we were watching Wheel of Fortune and I felt it. And I, so I told my mom, I said, Hey, pick up Micah. I'm about to die. And when somebody tells you that, you know, right. Just what you did, just what you did. And about two seconds later, I was sitting actually in a rolling computer chair. Like I am now. And about two seconds later, um, the room started spinning like crazy and I blacked out. And then I heard, I can hear this little buzzing sound of the thing charging up to shock you back. And it, it hits me. It hit me so hard that my rolling chair rolled back into the wall. Like it, it pushes you back. Um, And I mean, everybody was right there and you, they can't touch you for a second because if the heartbeat is still irregular, it will shock you again. And if you get shocked, they will get shocked and it will stop their heart. So it's a whole, it's a wow. whole thing. It will stop their it heart? With it. Right. Because nothing's wrong with, if your heartbeat is normal and you touch right. me and we happen to get shocked, it's trying to regulate mine, but it Whoa. will irregulate yours. Um, so it's, it's a whole, so like there were rules. Like if, if Brittany says, I'm about to die or she passes out back away. Like that's why they yell clear uh, on TV because okay. if you're touching, if you're touching the body, when it gets shocked, you're going to feel that shock as well. And it will become irregular. Your heartbeat will become irregular as it's trying to regulate theirs. Um, so anyway, my mom is standing there. My son is standing there. My husband is standing there and there's nothing they can do do except call the ambulance and hope that i mean and essentially what the defibrillator will do is it will keep shocking you until the battery dies unless the heartbeat regulates okay thankfully my heartbeat regulated before the ambulance got there um and they put me in the ambulance and we went to the hospital um so when i say i died i i say i am saying that if i did not have that that pacemaker and that defibrillator implanted those moments would have been the end of my life. And that happened seven times. Wow. And have they, did they ever give you like an explanation as to like, you know, you're so young, like, does it matter? I guess it doesn't matter how old you are. No, it doesn't. You were so young, you were in your twenties. Right. At this point, I, um, yeah, I I was in my twenties. Um, so I was 29, maybe, because Michael was about three. So I was 29. Um, 
And I had never had a heart. I never had a heart issue. It doesn't run in my family. This was just a random one-off thing that happened. So my family didn't know anything about heart failure or organ donation or anything like that. This was, this was all going through the motions, trying to figure it out. Now, what did it feel like when you got your new heart that day? Like they called you and can you walk it through oh, that? Oh, man. Man. Um, so I was in the hospital and it was actually my dad's birthday. It was January 12th. And I was and my dad passed away uh, in 2015. So he passed away like two years earlier from cancer. Um, so mm. I was sitting in this hospital room and I was so mad at everything and at everybody, at God, at the world, at myself, at all of it. Because once again, I was back in this room, not enjoying life, not raising my son, not being a wife, not being a daughter, not being a friend. I was just dying. And I'm going to say, fortunately, it's unfortunate, but I'm going to say, fortunately, fortunately, when someone passes away, usually it's quick and you don't have time to watch them. You don't have time to grieve before they're gone mm-hmm. in most situations. Imagine knowing that you're dying and having to grieve yourself, but still be a wife and still be a mother and still be a mm-hmm. daughter and still be a friend and still make Valentine's for your son's party and still plan a birthday party for your mom because she just lost her father and you're her only child. And all of these different culminations of things, you still have to do life in the midst of dying. So I was so frustrated that I was back at that spot. And there was one thing when I was, when I was in the, when I was in cardiac ICU, all of those years ago in 2010, I prayed and I said, God, you're going to have to get me out of here. (laughs) He said, do me a favor. He didn't say do me a favor, but he said, I want you to write down what you're going through. I want you to write everything down because you're going to write a book about this at some point. And I was like, sure. Okay. Bet like whatever you need. Um, So I said that, and of course I've been jotting little things down along the way, but nothing, I wasn't going to write a book. That wasn't the plan. Um, So I was sitting in this hospital room. Now it's January 12th, 2018. And I said, God, I'm done. I'm finished. I'd never given up before that moment, Mm. but I'm like, I've got this mechanical heart. I've spent nine months in the hospital I've, I've done all of this stuff, right? I founded a nonprofit from the hospital. I got my master's degree in the hospital. I did all of these things just trying to remind myself to live while I was dying. Right. And I'm like, and I'm still right back in this place. And they're telling me they don't have a heart available. And even with the mechanical heart, my heart is failing. I quit. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all of the lessons that I've learned. And I'm going to write a devotional. I'm going to write a 21 day devotional today. I'm going to write it all today. I'm going to finish it. And I called the chef and this was at like seven in the morning. I called the chef and I said, Hey, for dinner tonight, I want steak and shrimp. Cause that's my last meal. That was my last meal. And he was like, 
okay, but it's like seven in the morning. I was like, yes, but at tonight <laughs> at 7 p.m., I want steak and shrimp. I'm giving you time to get that figured out. He was like, I mean, sure. Okay. So I started writing. I started writing. I started writing. I started writing. And at about, so I finished this devotional. And at about 6.30, I sent it to my editor. I said, look, here's the devotional. I correct it, grammar it, grammarize it, spell check it, do whatever you got to do. And I'm done. I, I don't want to revise it. I, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. So right at that time, I sent that um, email to my publisher. My meal came. So I sat down and I ate my meal <laughs> and I'm like, this is my last meal and it's steak right. and shrimp and I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. No, I don't care that I'm going to die tomorrow because I'm over mm-hmm. living. And as I ate that, as I chewed that last bite of, bite of steak, I said, God, if you're going to show up now would be the time because you asked me to write a devotional, I wrote the devotional and I have, I have been steadfast and I'm just done. So I swallowed that last bite of steak and my phone rang. Um, and my doctor said, Brittany, I said, yeah. He said, we found a heart for you. Oh my gosh. So are you, are you serious? Well, one of the issues with finding me a heart is I have a really high level of antibodies, right? We as, as mothers do, because when a man is born, he has the antibodies he's born with. When I, as a woman of, I'm born. I have the antibodies I'm born with. But when I carry a child, I develop antibodies for that child. That man never develops antibodies for the children that he, you know, that he is a part of bringing into the world. Mm-hmm. But because we carry them in our bodies, our bodies make and store antibodies for every one of our children. So not only were they trying to match Brittany's birth antibodies. They're also trying to match Micah's birth antibodies. And you said you have four, right? Or three. I have three kids, yes. Three, right. So it would be trying to match not just yours, but all three of yours. So it's a very, it's a very specific process. And so let's say you have a thousand antibodies. That was the problem. They were like, Brittany, you have a very high antibody level because Micah was premature. Obviously he got more antibodies because I breastfed and all of this stuff. And he said, I said, okay, well, of the thousand antibodies, you told me that like 97% of them have to match or I'm going to reject the heart. So what percentage of them match? And he said, all of them. Wow. It's the perfect Praise God. And I said, okay, um, yeah, yeah, let's, 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 let's do it. Let's absolutely, let's do it. And he said, okay, well, you know, we're going to start the paperwork and everything. And then if everything's good, then we'll go into surgery as soon as possible. So that was September 12th at 7 PM. I went into surgery on, that wasn't September. That was January 12th. Mm 2018 at 7 p.m. And I went into surgery on January 13th at about 11 p.m. Um, and it was quite a, it was a long surgery because they had to go in and remove the mechanical heart, then remove my actual heart and then get the new heart put in and wow. reconnected to all the valves and the two in the arteries and veins and everything, and then stitch me up. Um, so it was a, it was, it was a, 
I imagine it was a long time. I was asleep, so right. I don't know what they were doing, but I, I rested well that day. Wow. So wow. Wow. that is my story. Your body, it just responded well because it was a perfect match. It did. it did respond well. It was a perfect match. And like I said, that was January of 2018. And my thing was, I said, I want to go to Australia. Like, that's my thing. When I'm healed, I want to go to yeah. Australia. And my doctors were like, yeah, when, once you're, once you're a year out, you can go to Australia. So I went for my year checkup in Jan- in December, December. Yeah. 2018. So it was about 11 months. And I was like, Hey, I'm coming early because I feel like I have a cold. Something's not right. And they were like, okay. Looks like you have like maybe a UTI or something, um, mm-hmm. but we're going to scan just to make sure, just kind of get everything out of the way as much as we can. So they did a scan and they said, um, we're going to do another scan. I was like, mm. super weird, but okay. Uh, so I still kind of had this fever and everything, but I was like, okay, sure. I, I trust my team wholeheartedly. So they came in and it was when it was, when it's only one doctor that comes in, there's, there's an issue because um, <laughs> usually it's a teaching hospital. So they usually come in right. with residents and all of these people. And it, it just, the one main doctor came in and I said, what's going on? And he said, um, in your liver and in your spleen, there's about 300 lesions of cancer. Oh. Oh. I said, okay. Like he said, we, we can't, we can't do surgery. Um, because number one, you're prone to infection because after you have a heart transplant, you take immunosuppressants to basically knock your immune system down and keep it from attacking your heart as a foreign object or as a cold or because when your body sees something that is not a part of you, it's just like kill it. Right. It doesn't care that it's providing vital work. Um, so they were like, if we, if we open you up, we can't give you antibiotics and stuff like that because it would endanger the heart Mm. so we're gonna have to do chemo and i said okay well how is the heart gonna take chemo we don't we don't know but we know that the cancer will kill you so let's go and then i had my cancer journey and then it ran all into covid and divorce and my doctorate and all that other good stuff what else do you want to know, Sarah? <laughs> oh my. I'm just blown away. And how long did that, how long were your treatments for two years? Was it the? No, well, a year, a year. So I, I would do a round of chemo and um, for, I would do one round of chemo every 21 days. And I did six rounds of that. So, um, so let's say Sunday to Sunday. So I would do, let's say, chemo on Sunday. In that first week, the first seven days, where I actually felt okay, felt pretty normal. It's just a little tired, but I felt okay. The second 14 days was absolute the most painful experience I've ever had in my life because that's when the chemo was really working. So it killed every cell in mm-hmm. my body um, during those seven days. And then for the next seven days, my body was rebuilding. So I, I felt like I was getting over a cold for the next 
seven days. And then when I felt great, I went back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was raising a kid and I was being a wife and I was being a daughter and I was living while trying not to die. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of been this theme. And I refuse to die now. Like I'm just, I'm over it. <laughs> I'm just. you living during that time like how were you able to do all those things be a wife be a mother be a daughter probably not very well but I did what I could when I could um because my immune system was severely suppressed uh the school that Micah was at was amazing in making sure that I was able to zoom in for his award ceremonies or um they were taking a lot of pictures and, and sending them over for the, you know, for the Christmas plays and the, all of the things that was supposed to be at from swimming lessons to class projects to whatever. Um, I was doing everything I could to be there virtually. And then when I physically could to be there, um, that's why, you know, when the mask came with COVID, I, when you come out of transplant surgery, you start wearing a mask, my whole family. So when they were like, Oh, you got a mask up. We're like, we have plenty <laughs> we're like we're wearing them anyway so this isn't a new thing um so even now as 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 COVID kind of dials back and people are not wearing masks I've, I've got like three sitting here because they have to match my outfit <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> of course they have to match my outfit so um so it was difficult um a lot of the medicines I couldn't perform as a wife the way that I wanted to or needed to. Um, I couldn't even physically perform as a mother because when, when your body is dying, getting outside with a six-year-old and trying to run around or push him on a swing is the most difficult stuff ever. Plus they're giving you 200 milligrams of steroids. So you are angry. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you are hungry and you're fat. <laughs> You're like, I'm angry, I'm hungry, and I'm fat. Leave me alone. (laughs) Don't Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Don't. Do you want? No. 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 Just no. Whatever you're offering, I don't want it. (laughs) Just toss it over here. (laughs) So, yeah. So, yeah. um, The survival part was just that. It was survival. Mm -hmm. It was taking it one day at a time and going, I don't know what I need today. I know I don't need this. And... I know I don't need that, but I don't know what I need. I don't. How are you feeling physically now? You're in remission, correct? Pretty much. So usually what they say is after you've had a good two years without any recurrences, you're in remission. My two years will be like February. So, oh, well, it'll be like February. There's a certain February 20 something. So here in this next week, unless God loves me that much. uh, (laughs) Yes, I will. I will be able to celebrate being in remission. Amen. Absolutely. How are you feeling? How am I feeling? Um, Really good, actually. And not always physically, sometimes just mentally. And emotionally. And I think that absolutely translates 
all the way around. I think if you're, if you're feeling lousy physically, you're going to feel lousy mentally and emotionally. I think if you're feeling lousy mentally and emotionally, you'll feel lousy physically and vice versa. I think if you can, if you can help yourself to feel good mentally and emotionally, you will feel good physically, regardless of what your body is actually feeling. I just turned 37 and like stuff is making noise. Like, <laughs> make noise. And I'm like, <laughs> did that happen? Crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I am overall, I'm feeling really, really well. And I'm able to really enjoy the gift of life from my organ donor and, and a lot of other things that I, I feel like I've been missing for a while. How has this affected your son? That boy's a warrior. Um, he, it has affected him. It is very, very important to me to make sure he is good mentally. So we have a lot of conversations. We talk a lot about our thoughts and our feelings. Um, and for his 10th birthday, so that was 2020, that was the year of COVID, we were supposed to do this huge birthday bash because I had been sick up until that point. Um, so he was never really ever, he had birthday parties, but never as big as I would have liked to have had it. Like, like his fourth birthday party, we had it at the zoo. And I packed up all of his stuff after the zoo and I put him in the car with my husband and I got in the car with my mom and I went and got admitted at the hospital. So it was uh-huh. things like that. Yeah. Um, so for his 10th birthday, we were supposed to do this big thing because COVID hit, we couldn't. So I, I jumped on Facebook and I asked some friends, I said, hey guys, Micah loves receiving Amazon packages. And he's always bummed out when it's not for him, right? right. <laughs> so if you guys, I was like, I'm making like a wish list on Amazon. If you guys could, if you could get like 10 packages, he's turning 10. So if he could get like 10 packages total, he would be ecstatic since we can't celebrate his birthday. And I mean, man, my Facebook community just responded in grand fashion. So instead of getting 70, instead of getting 10 gifts, he got 70. 70 packages showed up. Oh, that is a blessing. Zero packages showed up at my door. I love it. It it was, except for the person that had to bring them in. So um, <laughs> here's another one. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, and it was everything. It was books and it was toys and it was, you know, Fortnite gift cards. And it was right. millions oh, and millions of fantastic. things. And when he opened all of these things, he said, so all of this is for me. I said, yes, people have seen you be a trooper as mommy has gone through all of these things. And they just want to show you that you're not alone and that they're right here with you. And he said, I want to do that too. So what do you mean? He said, you have a nonprofit that helps adults. Can I start a nonprofit that helps children? Wow. And I said, um, like to, like today, um, sure. (laughs) You can do that. So he started a nonprofit, um, called Micah Gives. And the mission of Micah Gives is to his, in his words, I want to help kids be brave. And BRAVE is an acronym that he and I use, and it stands for breathe, realize what you're feeling, vent your frustration to someone that you trust and display vulnerability. Um, No, we are a, oh, sorry. So breathe, realize what you're feeling, ask why you're feeling that way, 
I'm frustrated. Okay, why am I frustrated? What what happened that frustrated me? And then vent and practice vulnerability. And then E is elevate, elevate above the situation and know that everything is going to be okay. Um, so his entire world right now is, is kind of focused around my forgives and making sure that kids know how to be brave. So um, right now we're actually working on an initiative um, called Brave Day for the time being. He's 11, so he changes his mind. But right now we're working on Brave Day. And Brave Day is basically going to be this huge day of, it's going to be basically a kid's mental health day. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what's going to be. So we're going to bring in jujitsu demonstrations and yoga demonstrations and we're going to have toys and games and we're going to give it all away. Free food, free drinks. There'll be a station where they'll be able to build their own coping kits, their own brave boxes. So you'll be able to go, Ooh, this makes me feel less stressed out. And well, what smells do you like? We're going to put together some essential oils that you like that help you calm down. And what feelings or what sounds do you like? We're going to get you a sound machine with sounds that you like. Um, so that is that is right now what Micah Gibbs is working on. Um, how can people reach out to Micah Gibbs? Uh, he has a website, micahgibbs.com. You can follow him on uh, Instagram at, I think it's at Micah Gibbs. Yeah, actually. Um, and then my website is BrittanySpeaks.com. You can link over to Micah Gibbs from there as well. Um, you can become a mighty partner with us. And that's just like, uh, at minimum, like a $5 monthly donation. And that goes toward, toward Brave Day. Um, he also has created what he calls Mighties. Um, and they're basically t-shirts and apparel and stuff like that. So there's stuff on there like, um, you know, there's t-shirts that say, you know, kind is the new cool and spark some good. And, um, you know, uh, the, what we call the high five is love, acceptance, kindness, respect, and, um, and empathy. So things like that are, are on those t-shirts and there's for kids and adults. And we just, we're just having a good time sparking some good, really. And he's only 11. I cannot wait to he's see <laughs> what he does. And like, and like <laughs> when he gets older, <laughs> if he's already doing this and he's 11. Oh my gosh. You know, he's a normal 11 year old. He likes, he likes cheeseburgers yeah. and trampoline mm-hmm. parks, you know, but at right. the same time, he's like, that kid wasn't very kind. He really needs to join Michael Gibbs. I'm like, okay. You can't uh, tell people that though. <laughs> you can't go say that to people. Um, here's my card. He might want to Right. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta talk through that, man. We gotta really <laughs> come talk to me, my mom. We got all, we got all the answers. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and um, and it's, I love it. It's, it's love. It. I love doing yeah. that with him. That's that's oh, our absolutely. Thing. That is wonderful. On your IG on January fourteenth, you wrote four years, four years ago, your heart saved me, and we haven't stopped living since. Together, we have authored two books. Beat Stage 4 Cancer, spoken to thousands of people, been organ donation advocate, celebrated four more of my son's birthdays, earned our doctorate in psychology to help heal even more people. Here's to many more years of living and impacting our world. Happy Heart Day, Gary. Thank you for being so selfless. If that post does not make more people donate their organs, I don't know what does. Um, Can you talk about organ donations and why do you think 
um, people don't donate theirs. And I really think it depends on, on the person. Um, not, not the person, but I really think it depends on the demographic for me. I just didn't know anything about it. Nobody ever asked that question. Like okay. nobody ever walked up to me and said, are you an organ donor? Would you like to be one? The only place they ask you is at the DMV, right? right. When you first get your license and you're 16, you're like, I want to go to McDonald's <laughs> with my friends. I don't right. sure, whatever, but you don't think about it. Um, and then as an adult, once I really know what it is, once again, no one asked that question. McDonald's asks every day, do you want fries with that? They don't ask, do you want to be an organ donor? It's not, it's not a normal question. Um, so most people are not organ donors because they just don't, no one's ever asked them to be. Number two, for some people, it's just not on their radar. There's no one in their world that has ever experienced it. So it's not personal to them. That's, that's a better way to put that. It's not personal to them. Because I can tell you, once I said I need a heart transplant, all of my friends signed up to be organ donors. I'm like, wait, I don't want yours. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, but it's so important, right? So nine times out of 10, it's just lack of, lack of exposure and lack of information. There are some people that say some very specific things like, um, if I'm an organ donor, they won't try to save my life if I'm in an accident, stuff like that. But none of those things are true. When they, if, if something, you know, God forbid, if something happens to you in an accident type situation, they don't go rummaging through your, through your wallet to find your ID. They're trying to save your life. All of those things that happen, happen way later and in a way different way different process. There's, there's three or four different companies that are working together or organizations, I should say, that are working together to, to get that happening. And it's, they don't just decide in the middle of, you know, highway two, huh, you know what, this sounds pretty, she looks like she had a good heart. What do you think? What do you think? You know? So, um, so, so nine times out of 10, though, it's just lack of information. And, you know, culturally and racially we get into mm-hmm. some of these other discussions about things and 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 that is a huge deterrent as well so you're finding pretty much in the black community we just don't Oh man, the black community, we're we're not, we're not, we're not for it. Um, We're not for it. And the thing that that breaks my heart about that is Gary is a Hispanic young man. Um, So now not only do I like fried chicken, I like fried chicken and tacos. It's the thing. And um, I, for instance, on the waiting list, 60% of the people on the waiting list waiting for a kidney are African-American. Wow. 60%. But as a country, only 20% of those signed up to be organ donors are African-American. Wow. That's a big gap. A really big gap. And that's not okay with me. So that's why I continue to do the advocacy work, especially in the African-American community, because I want them to ask the questions. I want to dispel the rumors. I want them to ask me the hard questions. I want them to ask me the questions about the kids that disappear and show up with no organs. I want to help us to understand how to help us the right way. 
And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that when I leave this planet, I leave it better. I think one huge way to do that is going to be through making sure that we are educated about what we do. Absolutely. You don't have to. And that's not me saying you have to be an organ donor. No, that's saying have all of the information and then you make that choice. I don't want you saying no because you don't know. I want you saying no because you've made a conscious choice to say no and you understand all that goes within that no. Mm-hmm. So, well, you already are making a world of a difference. <laughs> um, <laughs> With everything that you're doing. Um, What would your motivation or words of hope be to other moms who have kids at home and are going through a chronic illness? You got this. You are absolutely made. Regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your race, regardless of your education, regardless of what type of illness you're going through. You are created to be that child's mother. And there are things that they are going to receive from you that no one on this planet can give them but you. So on the days where it seems like there's no reason to keep trying. Rest that day. Take a day and say, I need to make sure that Brittany or Sarah is okay. Because we are going to be better mothers when we are better, when we are the best versions of ourselves. And there is no shame in saying, I need a day. So when you feel like you just cannot do it anymore, take a day. And you indulge in all the Starbucks and Target shopping that you want to that day. Just do you. Panera bread, chocolate croissants, whatever you need. Yeah. Bubble baths and meditation music and all the good stuff. And then when you are the best version of yourself, you go and be the mother that you were created to be. You got this. How do you look at life now compared to prior to your diagnosis? Number one, money does not matter. I'll just stop running after that. Because as they were rolling me into that room and I was hugging my son for the last time, possibly after writing letters for every birthday and writing letters to his future wife and for graduation and all of these things. The last thing that I cared about is what kind of car was in the parking lot or how much money was in my bank account. They were about to remove my heart. And the only reason they were about to remove my heart is because someone else had died. Money did not matter. And it could not have saved me. I could have had billions of dollars in the bank. Steve Jobs did. And it didn't matter one lick. The thing that mattered was the time. How much time have I spent being kind? How much time have I spent being loving? 
I will never again ask myself the question, how much did that cost in money? I ask myself the question, how much of my time did that cost? Because that is the most important thing that we have. And we have a finite amount of it. As much as you, you can have all the money in the world. You can make and make and make and spend and spend and spend and make and make and make. You cannot make time. You cannot. So that is the one commodity that is non-renewable. Therefore, it is the most precious. Now, when are you going to go on that trip to Australia? Whenever you're ready, Sarah. When you want to roll? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm down. Is That's Australia your bucket list. You got to go. You got to go. Is Australia open yet? I'm d- you know what? <laughs> I have I, no idea. I want to go. This kid has me like really running a company. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you want to do what now? On Tuesday? This Tuesday? Right. <laughs> Can we w- wait until September? That's Maybe. I just, I don't, oh. and he, com- he comes in and like, he comes in and like drops the information and then walks off. <laughs> yeah, because thanks, he is just, just put that on the he, calendar. He, he is, <laughs> because he is the CEO of his company, right? I so he comes that. in, he's like, hey, you know, and he'll be like twirling a pencil or something. He's like, you know, I was thinking, <laughs> we really don't need to charge people for this. I just want to give it all to him. And then he leaves. And I'm like, heart. but oh, I'm like, but wait, who's gonna pay for it? <laughs> who's gonna pay? He's like, oh, we can do fundraisers, we'll raise money, it's fine. Oh my goodness. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love so him. He is, oh my god. So as far as Micah gives go, he's he is the CEO and I am the CMO. I am the chief Micah officer. <laughs> and he is the CEO, the chief, the chief excitement officer. So he brings the excitement and the hype and I manage Micah. He's like, let's get excited. I'm like, and bring it down. Let's bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get so him on the podcast too. <laughs> you know what? He would have so much fun. He would have so much fun. Oh my goodness. With everything that you're doing, what do you um, do for self-care? Travel. I do travel when I cannot <clears throat> because I, I haven't been able to in quite some time. Um, <clears throat> um, I, I can't tell you how much value there is. Well, and you probably know because you're doing this podcast. I can't tell you how much value there is in being able to do something for work that you're passionate about. I will sit down and work for fun. I know that sounds so crazy, (laughs) but, but to sit down and have conversations like this, or to sit down and say, okay, the, I want to do this thing where the parents sign their kids up and bring them, but the kids that really need to be there, their parents won't sign them up. So I just need to open the doors and throw some bounce houses out there and attract them and say, okay, now how can we help? So things like that are self-care for me. When I really, really, truly need a mental break day, um, simple things. Um, I'll take myself to dinner. I'll take myself to lunch. I'll go. I enjoy a good movie. I enjoy a good movie. And I go, I'll go by myself to like a matinee, like before all the young kids that get there, but it's not the first one. So all the old people are gone. You got to catch that middle spot, like that (laughs) two o'clock one. Right. And I'll put all the butter that they have there on the popcorn. I'll like, I need all of the butter that you have. 
Actually, just put some popcorn in the butter. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) And I will sit there with the popcorn and like a box of raisinets or something and watch a movie and just just be, you know, but that all that all comes. You have to be able to practice self-love to do that. Because some people being alone, it, it reminds them, they feel like being alone equals lonely. And when I'm alone, I don't feel lonely. I'm like, I got a lot of stuff to do, right. but I need a minute. So, <laughs> um, so, so that's the first thing is, is making sure that you love yourself and whatever that looks like for you. Um, however that, you know, so my mom is a shopper, so she'll go shop. I'm like, how are you in Target for three hours? There's five oh hours. No, how? You are doing this. I am. In, I will wait in the car because you're done. You're done. And she'll go pick up everything in the store. And by the time she gets to the register, she comes like out with like one of the trial size lotions. I'm like, why were we here? Why well, was, what was the point CBS, of this? Right. Well, she's like, because I need to price it out. I can't buy it. And I don't know. Because I feel like pennies has it cheaper. I'm like, we're not going to fit it. We're not going to fit it. That's out. And I'm the only child, so you got to do it, right? <laughs> and she, she, she nursed me. She was my bedside, everything. Mm-hmm. So I, she, whatever mm-hmm. she wants. Um, but mostly any way that you, any way that you feel loved, you know, do that for you. Do that for you. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? You can catch me in the club. No, I'm kidding. You cannot <laughs> catch me in the club <laughs> at all. First of all, there's too many germs and I am immunocompromised. I, I will not be in the club ever. <laughs> um, you can find me at, uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, and my handle is at Dr. D-R Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S. Or you can um, just catch me at BrittanySpeaks.com. Well, Dr. Brittany, I so appreciate you. I thank you so much for all of your time today. Learned so much. And I wish you continued health and all the best with Micah Speaks. Micah, man, yeah, I'm going to have to call you and like just hand him over for a minute. Oh, they would love it. They would love it. They, they would love, love it. it. I have a 13 year old boy, so they'd get along real no, well. They would love it. Oh, of course. Of course. Well, thank you, Sarah, for for letting me borrow your listeners for a moment and just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. You have just listened to the stay at home mom. Yeah. Right. Podcast with my mom. I hope you enjoy listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you liked it, please give it five stars. Thank you. Thank you.